I came across a story of a guy named Jay Speets. I don't know if I'm saying his, his name right. Um, he was a, a Maryland man, and he kind of got obsessed about finding out kind of his family roots and decided um, to go through the long journey of, of Ancestry.com and um, to the annoyance of his wife, who really didn't enjoy his late night um, Google searches and trying to figure out where he came from and who his people were. And all of a sudden, he, he decided that he needed to take a DNA test. So he took a DNA test, and to his surprise, he found out that he was a prince. So he you know, through an exchange of, of many different uh, emails and phone calls, he finally gets in touch with the queen of the area where he is a prince. And they verify um, who he is. He was the, um, you know, a descendant of their ninth king. And the queen <laughs> sent him an email at like four in the morning. And she said, we are so excited that you have reached out to us. And we cannot wait for you to come and visit us. We will be waiting for you when you arrive. Please come. Please come. So Jay reads this email at 4 a.m. He wakes up his wife and says, you're not going to believe it, sweetie. I'm a prince. <laughs> Which means you are a princess. And she looks at him and she was like, okay, listen, I've got to get up at 6 a.m. So he goes to the place, 6,000 mile journey, um, to this place called Benin. And there the people of Benin were to meet him at the airport. And they celebrated him as the prince from his lineage. He said it was one of the most surreal experiences because they um, would, when he would meet people, they would bow and he would bow and then they would bow again and finally the queen looked at him and said, listen, princes don't bow. Um, and he was like, I was having to learn, you know, I, was, I felt like I was going to prince school uh, in the five or six days that I was there. He got to the palace, they walked around the palace and they were doing all these different rituals. The queen gave him um, a certain attire to wear that signified his royalty. The king gave him a new name. He said it was the most unbelievable experience uh, discovering who I was um, through my roots. Um, but in the story, he said my, my journey had to, had to end, I had to fly back home and he goes, I'll never forget, I, I get back home and I tell my wife, you know, the prince is home. And she says, great, take out the trash. <laughs> She's like, my wife reminded me of my other life and the responsibilities that I had. So there was no longer time for me to be a prince anymore. I thought about that story and I realized that as, as Christians... Um, there is a sense in which it is an otherworldly experience. Where when you discover who you are in Jesus, and the reality of the gospel, the reality of, 
of His good news, when it just lands home in your heart, it's just an otherworldly experience. And yet, at the same time, you're asking the question of, of, of what am I called to do and to be in this world? And there's this tension of this, this otherworldly experience, and yet the responsibility... of figuring out what it is that I'm called to do and to be. In other words, it's, it's that, that picture of a, of a man being a prince and yet having to take out the trash. The Christian life is both an otherworldly experience and a reminder that we are exiles, sojourners in this world trying to figure out what it means to live out our identity to live out our union with Christ in this world. Because of, as, as exiles, as sojourners, we're always asking the question, who are we? Who are we really? And what are we supposed to be doing as exiles and sojourners? And in our passage... Peter comes to remind these Gentile believers of who they are and, and how that actually informs their journey as exiles and sojourners for the life of the world. So before we consider um, the passage that was read, let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. Let's pray. Our Father, we do um, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is uh, your word and that it is true and that it always points us to the one that our hearts desire and long for. That is your son. And so we pray, Jesus, that your word would be made um, rich and, and beautiful in our hearts this morning as we consider what it means to be sojourners and exiles as we discover yet again of who we primarily and fundamentally are. So Jesus, be kind to us and send us your spirit, for we ask this in your name. Amen. So Peter uh, begins this new section in chapter 2, back in, in, in verses 1 through 4, um, by trying to answer the question of how do believers, how do Christians who are exiles and sojourners in this world, how do they grow up in their salvation? And he just uses this metaphor of a, of a nursing infant who needs spiritual milk. And he's, he's trying to ask this question, what does it look like for the church to mature in Christ, to grow up in their salvation, to move from childish things to becoming more childlike to becoming more mature in Jesus. And so chapter 2 is, is, is Peter's way of just trying to answer that question of what does it look like? What does it mean for us to mature? And the way that I want us to think about that um, in seeking to answer that question is Peter does two things in our passage. 
He reminds these Gentile believers that they are a people of grace and that they are a people of honor. So two things this morning. As we think about what does it look like for us to mature in Christ? A people of grace and a people of honor. First, a people of, of grace. Again, you need to remember um, the primary audience that, that Peter is, is writing to is a largely Gentile audience. And that's really important to remember because in the life of Peter, he had a really hard time with the inclusion of the Gentiles. Um, there's a place in Acts where he sees a vision, and he didn't just see the vision one time. Luke tells us he's, he saw it three times because the Lord had to press upon him that it was always his plan to include the Gentiles. And so in 1 Peter, you can kind of see the maturity of Peter. As now he is taking very exclusive and precious terms that were only reserved for Israel. And he's applying them now to Gentiles. I mean, you can go and, and, and read these terms straight out of, of Exodus and Deuteronomy where the way that God identified with his people, that language was only reserved for Israel. Now Peter, who's growing up in his salvation, maturing in Christ, he's now saying, yes. The inclusion of the Gentiles also means that what is true of Israel is true of you. And so what we discover as a people of grace are two things. Where he comes and he applies these terms from Israel to Gentiles. He says, a people of grace means that you belong and that you have access. Think about it. First, you belong. Notice what he says in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. The most fundamental part of any Christian is that you belong to God. That you are his treasured possession. That is what is most fundamentally true about anyone who is in Christ. That you belong to God. That you are his. But that you are his treasured possession. Chosen people. Now, why are we God's treasured possession? Like, why did He choose us? And this is really good news because the, the Bible is just unequivocally clear on this that the reason why God chose us. The reason why we are his treasured possession is not because of anything in us. It's not because of anything about us. It's not because of anything that we have done to earn it or to merit it. It has nothing to do with our desirability, our attractiveness. 
It has nothing to do with what, you know, David Zoll calls in his book, Seculosity, our enoughness. The reason why God chose us before the foundation of the world had nothing to do with anything in us or about us. Scripture just says that He loves you because He loves you. And that is really good news. That our relationship, who we fundamentally are as we belong to God, is not because of anything in me, about me, or what I do. It's because God set His affection and love on me before I ever took a breath, before I ever messed anything up. You're a chosen race. But for many of us who've perhaps grown up hearing that, we so often live our lives very suspicious of that reality. Where we tend to think that the reason why I belong to God, the reason why that I'm His treasured possession, is because of what I do. Because of who I am in myself. And when, we, when that is our default understanding between our relationship with God, that the reason why He accepts me is because of what I do, that almost always leads to deep insecurity because you never think that you're doing enough and therefore you're not really God's treasured possession. I came across a really, well, I thought it was funny, um, TikTok video. There's a group of people um, on a screen and they're watching a little boy pray for his meal. So he's at, a, he's at a dinner table. His mom and dad are there. or his, I think the, just the mom is there and maybe some other siblings. There's a group of people like spectators watching the video of this little boy pray. This is what he prayed. Thank you. Again, this is a little boy. He's probably four or five. I won't give the impersonation. He says, thank you to the Father in heaven. Please help strengthen our bodies. Help us to have wonderful and healthy food. Please don't let mom's food taste gross today. Please don't let... <laughs> Please don't, don't let mom be in a mood today. Please don't let, let mom run out of coffee. Help dad have a good day at work without mom, please. Please let mom have time to, to shower. Please don't let mom forget to pick me up from school. Like, that's hilarious and also deeply resonates with every single one of our hearts because it terrifies us. That the way that someone would accept me means that I have to have it all together and be perfect. That the way in which I'm desired and loved is because I never mess up. Like that prayer could have easily been prayed about a dad or a friend. 
And it's our nightmare to have someone just kind of disclose our faults and think like, yeah, no one. I would belong to no one. Because I always have to have it together. And here's the good news that Peter's reminding these Gentile believers. Is that the reason why you belong to God, the reason why you are his chosen and precious possession, is not because you have to have it all together. It's not because you have to be perfect. It's because he chose you. He set his affection on you before you ever did anything. He loves you because he loves you. And that is really good news. That is fundamentally who you are. As a people of grace, you belong to God. But secondly, as a people of grace, you have royal access. Peter describes these Gentile believers as a royal priesthood. Now that's very, you know, churchy language, very Bible language. What what does Peter mean when he calls these believers a royal priesthood? There's lots of things that this means, and I just want to highlight one very important thing, and that is this. The priest in the Old Testament was always the one who had closest access to God. He was the one who could actually go into the very exclusive, sacred, inter part of the temple that no one else had access to, the Holy of Holies. And I want you to understand what Peter's saying, that if you are in Jesus, you have access. It's not just any access. It is royal access into the inner life of God. Royal access into the throne room. Royal access. Like, that is astonishing that Peter's coming and saying to the people that you have that kind of access to God. You're a royal priest. I have a cousin who um, worked for NATO and uh, at one point in his career, he was the special assistant to the Allied commander. And um, when I was in college, me and, and two buddies um, had the opportunity to, to travel through Europe. And our first stop was to see him in Belgium. And he gave us, um, we wanted to see where he worked and wanted to see NATO headquarters and all that. And so we show up and uh, my cousin, when we got there, he handed us these badges And he says, here, these badges will get you access to anywhere in the headquarters. Don't lose it. So we're like, okay. (laughs) So sure enough, we walked around. And anytime someone said, hey, you don't have access there, I would very arrogantly just show my badge. And they'd be like, oh, you're with Steve. Yes, you have, you know, come on right in. But there was this moment that really blew me away. And that is there was a certain place in NATO that, that was very private and, and exclusive where all of the generals of all of the armies of the countries represented in NATO sat and met and had their lunch. 
And so we were told to meet Steve at this particular location to go have lunch with him. And I thought, surely there's no way a bunch of like ridiculous college students are going to have access to this like inner ring of NATO. And so we show up and of course there's a guard there and he's like, nah, you're not getting in. But then Steve walks in behind us and says, there with me. And we literally walk into this room and all these different generals from these different countries are sitting with one another having lunch. And we walk in and they all say, hey, Steve, we, I, I met some of the most powerful men representing their countries in the world by virtue of who I was with. Peter says to believers that if you are in Christ, you are a royal priesthood, which means you have access to the very holy of holies. To the inner life of God. Do you know what that means as a people of grace who belong and have royal access? It means a lot. But I just want you to see two things. Because of our union with Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, it means then that the Father, because you are a chosen people, a holy nation, because you are a royal priesthood, the Father will never deny you access. He will never shut the door, no matter how far your sin takes you into the far country. You always have access to the Father by the Spirit because of the Son. Always. He will always welcome you. But it also means because you always have access as this royal priesthood and because you always belong to God as His treasured possession, it means then that there's, a, there's never in a moment in your life as a Christian where you are alone. You always have God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to pour out your heart to, to cry to, to rejoice with. There's never a moment in your life where you will ever be alone because you are a chosen people. And you have royal access to the life of God. So we are fundamentally a people of grace. We belong to God not because of anything we have ever done or could ever do or to earn it. But that also means, if that's fundamentally who we are, it means then that we are called to be a people of honor. What do I mean? Well, in light of all that we are in Jesus, in light of His grace, His mercy, in light of all that we are, the way that we live as sojourners and exiles in this world is to now honor and reflect what God is like for the life of the world. Again, notice what Peter says. Verse 11. He says, because of all of what I've just said, because of who you are, therefore abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now what is he saying? 
Peter's saying that the real obstacles as exiles and sojourners in this life, it's not out there. It's not the culture wars. The real battle, the real war that always will be waged as sojourners and exiles in this world is the remaining sin that resides in our hearts. So, so Peter's coming and saying, listen, in light of the mercy and grace as you belong to God by faith in Jesus, therefore, do all that you can to reflect and honor Him by the way in which you live. Which means that a Christian... Our fundamental responsibility is to learn to die unto sin and live unto righteousness as sojourners and exiles in this world. That the more that we experience the access we have with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the less attractive our sin and the allurement of this world become. So Peter comes and says, listen, honor God with your life in light of who you are. Honor Him with your life. Do all that you can to mirror and to reflect and to experience His grace, His mercy, and His love. So as a people of grace, we become a people of honor by first honoring Him. But secondly, we honor our neighbors. Verse 12, Peter says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. And, and what Peter means there is by unbeliever, other unbelievers. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. Now Peter is saying as, as sojourners and exiles that we are called in our behavior to bear witness To the grace and mercy and love that is ours in Jesus to a world that has rejected him. Why? Because Peter knows that when, that when we live our life before the face of God for the life of the world, that there will be some who will see our good deeds. And they will honor and glorify God on the day of salvation. In other words, as the people of God, we are to behave in such a way that reflects and mirrors the very grace and mercy and love that we have received from the triune God. That we are to live and behold, as Peter says, the excellencies of Him. That as sojourners and exiles, our primary purpose of what we are called to do and to be is to proclaim the excellencies of Him. Why? Because it was Him who called us out of darkness and brought us into His marvelous light. That we as a people of grace become a people of honor. That we live one way before God and before others. There's a great um, interview that uh, Rich Eisen has on his podcast with um, Rob Reiner. Uh, Rob Reiner's a director, and he, he directed uh, the movie A Few Good Men. 
I'm sure some of you have seen that, that movie. And there's that famous courtroom scene with Jack Nicholson, uh, Tom Cruise, Kevin Bacon, Demi Moore. And uh, in that podcast, uh, Rich asked Rob, he's like, hey, can you walk me through filming that, that scene? And Rob's like, you'll never believe what took place. He says, so I, 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 we show up on set that day and, and I go up to Jack and I say, listen, do you want me to shoot you first or do you want me to shoot, you know, Cruz and, and Kevin Bacon and Demi, their reactions? And Jack was like, yeah, yeah, just shoot their reactions first and then come back and you can shoot my scene. And so Rob's like, great. So off camera... It's Jack Nicholson. He's over there in the corner and Rob's shooting like Tom Cruise's reaction. And he looks over and Jack is giving the very performance that you end up seeing on the film. So then he shoots Demi's reaction and off camera Jack is doing the exact same thing. And he does it with Kevin Bacon's reaction. And finally Rob <laughs> walks over to Jack and he was like, hey, maybe you should save one of those takes for when you're on camera. And Jack looks at Rob and he goes, Rob, forgive me, that was terrible. <laughs> Rob, you don't understand. I love acting. And so sure enough, as soon as the camera is put on Jack, he gives the exact same performance. Gave it five times in a row the exact same way. Peter comes and he says, as a people of grace, we become a people who honor God, which means that we live one way our whole lives. When the camera is on or when the camera is off, we live one way before the face of God and before the face of men. Why? Because we want to proclaim the excellencies of Him who brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into His beloved and marvelous light. So how do we do that? Well, we didn't read this part but if you go back into the first half of chapter 2, Peter talks about a living stone, a cornerstone. This cornerstone is the most precious and chosen piece that a builder would put as the foundation. And Peter comes and he says, God is the builder and the chief and most precious chosen cornerstone is Jesus. And he comes and he says, as living stones, he calls us as living stones, the way in which you sojourn as exiles in this world is that you build your life on the cornerstone. That as you're connected to him, you're actually being built up. Every single one of us in here are building our life on something. And Peter comes and says, anything that you're building your life on, whatever cornerstone that is precious, that you've cut out and said that that is what I'm going to build my life on. Peter says, anything other than Jesus will lead you to shame. 
that that cornerstone, whatever it is that you're building your life on, whether it is success or wealth or family or comfort, whatever it is, he says, will inevitably lead you to shame. But he comes and says, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, the cornerstone, and you build your life on him, Peter says, you will never be put to shame. Why? Because Jesus is the only cornerstone that holds up the whole structure. Jesus is the only one who could ever do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus is the only one who is precious and chosen by the Father to be the capstone that we build our lives on. And do you know what that means? That as Jesus is precious to the Father, those who are united to Jesus are precious to Him as well. What is true of Jesus becomes true of you. You, Jesus, the Father tells us, is the beloved Son with whom He is well pleased. If you, a living stone, built your life on Him, guess what? The Father looks at you and says, you, my beloved child, who I am well pleased. Jesus, who's the apple of God's eye. You are the apple of God's eye. All that is true of Jesus is true of you. And if you build your life on Him, it will never lead to shame. We are a people of grace, called to live as a people who honor Him and to honor our neighbors. Don't you want that? Peter actually says that it is an honor to those who believe in Jesus. Which means it is our great privilege that the Father grants us to have, to behold Him. Don't you want that honor? And Peter says, come to Him, the living stone, and discover who you are and what you are called to do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for all that you have done for us in Jesus. Jesus, thank you for doing what we could never do for ourselves. And Spirit, thank you for uniting our hearts to the Father and the Son. And I pray um, for us this morning that you would remind us especially if there are people here who do not know you, that you would remind us who we are in Jesus and what we're called to do and to be. So Jesus, do that work in us, for we pray this in your name. Amen.